So in this week's episode, they are only six weeks away from that dramatic escape through the Red Sea, and they have barely begun the 40 years of wandering around the desert places before they reach that land promised to Abraham. Chapter 15 ended with them at Elim. No, not the church down in town opposite Charlotte Street car park. Uh, They would never have fitted into that uh, building. No, this Elim is a sort of five-star resort with 12 springs and 70 palm trees uh, that they had a little rest at, although I guess they would have needed more than 70 palm trees to feed them. But now they've moved on from there, and six weeks in, the excitement of the escape has begun to fade. The reality of the new freedom they have entered into is coming home. And it's not quite as good or as easy as they thought or hoped it was going to be. It's a funny thing about our human nature, isn't it? That you long for something to happen. And if and when it does happen, you're very excited and happy for a time. But then the feeling wears off. And you start to wish for the next thing. Isn't that often the way it is? And that was how it's going to be for the Jews for the next few hundred years and how it is so often with us, including we who call ourselves Christians. So that's where I'm mostly coming from in this talk. And um, I have four Gs. You've heard of 4G and 5G telecommunications. I have four Gs to help us think through this story. And the first G is very obvious. It's a word that appears seven times in Exodus chapter 16 and three times in John chapter 6. And it is, of course, the word grumbles, all right, grumbling. So we've heard that word ten times this morning. I used to be an English teacher, and one of the things I tried to teach in poetry was onomatopoeia. Do you remember that from school days? Words that sound like their meaning. And grumble is one of those words. In other translations, it's, in the older versions, it's murmuring. Um, and that's also like its meaning. So grumble, 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 mutter, 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 mumble, mumble, mumble. Uh, it's onomatopoeic. Something you do under your breath behind someone's back, behind your hand, maybe even during a sermon. People go, I don't know. I don't know. Now, grumbling, complaining, is something that the Israelites could have got an A-star distinction in if there were qualifications to be had for that particular skill. And possibly you know a few people who are A-star in grumbling, or if not that, at least they could do a, a, a very creditable grade B in and maybe you have even been known to practice the odd bit of grumbling about the boss about your spouse oh heaven forbid (laughs) about your children about the church about the vicar Maybe it's something you've caught yourself doing over a cup of tea or a glass of wine with others, and you've all felt pleased with yourself as you rattled off a whole list of what is wrong with this or that institution or this or that person. I wonder. Now, let's just be clear about the situation here. I don't see anything wrong in the people going to Moses and Aaron or to God and saying, We're a bit anxious 
about the food supply and the water supply, we can't see where all the food is going to come from to feed all these people. Moses, what are your thoughts on this? Is there anything we can do to help? No, that is not what they were doing. They were just grumbling and moaning and complaining unconstructively and said nonsense things, as people do. Oh, it was much better off in Egypt. We had a much happier time. There we could sit around pots of meat. I think in the old translation it says the flesh pots of Egypt. We had pots of meat and ate all the food we could eat. We'd be better off dying there along with the firstborn than starving here. I mean, a load of nonsense, considering in the early chapters of Exodus, you've got all their groaning and complaining, God, save us from this terrible situation we're in. But now the past has taken on a rosier hue, and so it's grumbling and complaining. Putting things very simply, I think we can say that all our attitudes of heart and spirit have a force of their own. And that force, like in physics, can either be a positive force or it can be a negative force. And a grumbling, complaining spirit or attitude is clearly a negative force. If you ever spend time, maybe at work or in the family or with friends, with someone who is constantly grumbling, uh, it leaves you feeling uncomfortable and negative and, you know, depressed. And it's usually undermining of somebody or something. And of course, actually, it has a negative impact on the person themselves. If you live in a spirit of complaint and grumbling, that has a negative impact on you. Complaining doesn't usually lead to constructive action, but subtly eats away like woodworm in furniture, which destroys, or soil erosion, which causes crops to be washed away and buildings to sink and collapse. In Philippians 2, Paul quotes that first century worship song, sung many a time, I think, in church then, about Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, took on the form of a servant. You know how it goes on. It's a lovely song that Paul quotes in that letter. And almost immediately after that song about Jesus who took on the form of a servant, who could have grumbled and complained and got angry about his treatment, Paul writes, you do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God, and then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. Grumblers are like clouds in the sky. They blot out the sun and the stars. So what is the opposite to grumbling? Well, again, it's a G word. So what would you say? I can't hear. Gratitude. Gratitude, thank you, yes. So gratitude and gratefulness are the positive force as opposed to the negative force of grumbling. You know, gratitude starts the same way as the word grace, doesn't it? Indeed, when we give thanks and are grateful for a meal, we sometimes pray a prayer called the grace, don't we? And that spirit of thankfulness is so important. There's a lovely old prayer from the Book of Common Prayer called the Prayer of General Thanksgiving. Some of you will remember it. 
It goes like this. Almighty God, Father of all mercies, we, thine unworthy servants, do give thee most humble and hearty thanks for all thy goodness and loving kindness to us. We bless thee for our creation, preservation, and all the blessings of this life, but above all for thine inestimable love in the redemption of the world by our Lord Jesus Christ for the means of grace and the hope of glory. It's an absolutely beautiful prayer called the Prayer of General Thanksgiving. St. Paul, in his letter to the church at Colossae, gives them guidance on the way they should be when they come together for worship. He writes, Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach, what we're doing now, and admonish one another, uh, and do it with through psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. I've told this uh, joke story before, so apologies if you remember it, but um, it does reveal a truth about some people at least. A mother was out for the day at the beach with a little two-year-old son, all dressed up uh, for the beach and protected by the sun, wearing a lovely little sun hat. And along comes a huge wave that sweeps the poor little boy away. Well, as you can imagine, the mother is in great distress and cries out to God, Lord, please save my son. I beg of you, I'll never complain about anything again if you save him. And as she finishes her prayer, there's another enormous wave and it throws the little boy back on the beach, a little bit bewildered. And she sees her son there sitting in the shadows, dazed, but none the worse for wear. She looks at her son. She looks up at the sky and she shouts, and where's his hat? It's a bit like the Israelites, wasn't it? They've seen the ending of their 400 year in exile with his oppression and exploitation and now they're shouting at Moses and God and where's the food? They need, as we often do, to move from grumbling to gratitude, from thinking how badly off we are to thankfulness. And if that's not your nature, then of course that is hard. If you're going through a bad patch, Wrestling with money worries, difficulties in the family, loneliness, one of a hundred things. It's not easy to have a thankful spirit. And maybe if you're in that position now, hearing another Christian who may have none of your worries or problems urging you to be thankful may make you grumble and complain even all the more at how hard it is. But many things don't come easily to our nature and cultivating a spirit of thankfulness and gratitude will do us good as well as doing others good. It will help us to see the glass half full in other people, not half empty. So there's much more that we could say about grumbling and complaining um, and gratitude and gratefulness. But I just want to move on now to two other G's. The G's of give and gather. In the story that we've had, and in the story in the gospel, God meets the genuine need for food with two extraordinary miracles, the manna and uh, the feeding of the 5,000 that Jesus did. And um, in the Exodus story, they also have quail, so they have meat and this curious thing called manna, nobody quite knows what it was. 
and it comes every day of their journeying, which is said to be for another 40 years, although that may just be a way of saying a very, very, very long time. It is a daily gift from God, God giving to his people. It was a miracle that the Jewish people frequently referenced in the years afterwards. Indeed, when Jesus was there in John 6, some of the Jews said to them, uh, what miracle can you do that is like the miracle of the food that came every day in the wilderness? And Jesus answers by saying, the new gift of his Father in heaven to them, to the whole world, to us, is himself, the bread of life. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And what do the people listening do? At this, some of the Jews began to grumble and murmur to themselves, how can he say this? I'm sure that John was deliberately uh, echoing the repetition of that grumbling uh, in, in Exodus 16 when he recounted this important discourse of Jesus. In Exodus, we see the giving God, God giving them the food and the water and the shelter that they needed. Later, God gives his only son, and Jesus gives himself for us. God's nature is a giving, generous nature. It's at the heart of who he is. But with the giving, there must be a receiving. There must be a gathering. It is not enough for God to give because that gift, as we know all too well, can be left on the table under the Christmas tree, unopened, unreceived, unappreciated. The manna was given every day, but the miracle did not extend to doorstep delivery. The people had to go out and gather it and bring it home. And what's more, you couldn't do a weekly click and collect or a weekly Okada or Sainsbury's delivery of manna because it went moldy after 24 hours and the maggots got into it. No, it was a daily process of gathering what had been given. Taking in food and water is a necessary daily process. Uh, preparing the food for eating is a daily process. None of us will have a very good meal today and then leave it until next Sunday for our next good meal, will we? And we can be thankful that none of us has to live like that and we don't choose to live like that. We might do that, though, with our spiritual bodies and our spiritual lives. To lead healthy spiritual lives, we need to gather in spiritual food and water daily. God gives, we have to gather. It's part of that, that constant reciprocity that there is between the gift of God and ourselves. Often we may not feel like doing it any more than we feel like uh, tending the garden, going shopping or preparing a meal. But if we neglect those things, it's not long before we feel hungry. And of course we become quickly become ill if we don't eat. Without spiritual food, we easily become spiritually malnourished, listless, without energy for the things of God. 
not alive and awake to what he wants to do in our lives. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, uh, which we will do later, we should maybe add, and help me to gather what you give and provide. We pray for, Lord, give us today our daily bread. And as I say, maybe we should add, and help me to gather it as you give it. Lord, help me to feed on your words and to draw from Christ himself every day. I need to end, but I want to end on a true story which I think has direct connections with what I've been saying. On Friday, I and a few others from this church went to a wedding at St. Luke's Church in Wellsway. There must have been well over 300 people there. Certainly many people like myself had to stand throughout the hour and a quarter long wedding ceremony, marriage. It was a very, an exceptionally joyous and happy occasion. I got to know the bride through our trips to Lourdes, and uh, she's part of Sarah's life project. And it's one of those trips that I heard her story as we gathered in the chapel at the end of the day. Roughly 22 years ago, that bride of Friday had knelt sobbing in her kitchen, feeling utterly desperate and abandoned. She was a new mother and she was a new widow. During the pregnancy of her first child, her husband had been diagnosed with cancer and he died not so long after the birth of a little girl called Lily. And Lily has Down's syndrome. So here is a new widow, a new mother, with a child with quite a major disability. If someone uh, had cause to complain and grumble, it was Elizabeth. However, as she herself told us and will tell you, it was at that point of desperation, kneeling on the floor, that God met her. I don't suppose it was the first day she prayed, and what happened to her on that day hadn't happened on other days. But on that day, wonderfully, something of the peace of God entered into her soul and spirit. It will not have been her last difficult day. As a single parent of a Downs child, she will have had many difficult days after that. Days of loneliness and wondering and question and struggle. But from what I know of her, her name is Elizabeth, a woman in the Bible who also had many years of heartache. Elizabeth is not a grumbler or a complainer. And uh, has a gift too, I think, for friendship, which is evidenced by the many, many people who gather there to celebrate on Friday. For her, the story has a lovely, has had many good things in her story, but now at the moment is a particularly happy part. About 18 months ago, believe it or not, she went on a silent retreat to Lee Abbey. And so did someone who had the fortune, good fortune to be called Tom. <laughs> Apparently, there was a very brief half hour or so of conversation on the first of this three or whatever it was, four days of retreat, and then silence, and then a little conversation at the end. But in those two little bits of conversation, something had happened, which culminated on Friday in um, them getting married, cheered on by hundreds of friends. Elizabeth's life over many years, 
like the journeys of the Israelites in the wilderness, and just like our own life journeys, will have had ups and downs, turns and twists, good and bad. But throughout it, she has held on to her faith in God, and he to her. And there was a spirit of thankfulness and gratitude in her life for good things, including that lovely daughter who was a bridesmaid at the wedding. And now a new chapter is beginning, a new promised land. And I have no doubt that today that couple is feeling enormously grateful and thankful for this new blessing in their lives, but also the many daily blessings that God has given and gives to them. So, may we be people with grateful, glad hearts, those who rejoice in the Lord, who know how to say thank you to him and to one another. And may we also be people who gather in with thanks what he daily gives us.